morning, church. Vic is a little under the weather this morning, um, but this was actually planned for him not to be here, so it's not like an afterthought. Um, so we just wrapped up a series a couple weeks ago about miracles, which was really good. If you didn't see that, go back and check that out. And then Josh, I felt like, kind of put a, a beautiful bow on that whole series last week with, with miracles and talking about gratitude um, going into the Thanksgiving season and all of that. And so hopefully everybody has got all the tryptophan out of your system. All the turkey is gone. You can stay awake. Because today we're going to talk about gluttony. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. We're saving that for Susan. Susan's going to share that message. Um, we... Uh, <clears throat> Hope you guys had a great week with all of that. Do you have your notes this morning? I hope you do because I have mine, so I try to stay on topic. I tend to go different directions. Now, I'm going to ask for some audience participation for this first part, and that is um, how many of you right now in your home is some sort of Christmas decoration already up. Okay. Weirdos. Now, how many of you are going to wait till the last possible moment or not do it at all? All right. And how many of you did not understand the question... We can do it again. The idea of Christmas brings a lot of emotions for a lot of people. I, uh, I feel like, let me see if I can get my uh, clicker here to work. I have to turn it on. That usually helps. Usually. <laughs> Can you help me out there in the back and give me that first slide? All right. Perfect. That's why we can't see it. So you guys seen the meme. I'll just explain it to you. Have you guys seen the meme? It's like, so there's two kinds of people at Christmas, and one is Buddy the Elf, who's freaking out because Santa's coming, and the other is from Lord of the Rings, where he says, and so it begins. <laughs> I literally said those words this week whenever they were putting all the Christmas decorations up at work. And I walked in, and I was like, and so it begins. I personally am not a huge fan of Christmas. Some of you that know me pretty well, that comes as no shock. There's a lot of junk associated with it. And I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you where, where it started. I worked five years in retail management. Now, I think there are two jobs that every person should have to do at least once in their life. And one of those is retail during the holidays, and the other is waiting tables. I think everybody should have to do that at least at some point in their lives. You get a greater understanding of what those people have to go through. And when you work in retail during the holidays, what you tend to find out is the Christmas spirit that everybody is talking about is typically greed, anxiety, stress, and all those things. 
You guys remember, it wasn't that long ago, they kind of figured out the Black Friday thing, but it wasn't that long ago people were getting stomped to death over stuff. Right? And you see, I would see people come into the store and just dread and fear and stress, and this is the most wonderful time of the year. And like, I've got to get this, I've got to get that, and that's already sold out. I will punch you to take that Tickle Me Elmo. And that is kind of what Christmas became to me. The dread, the fact that it feels like, you guys know, like at Walmart or any other retail store, I feel like Christmas starts as soon as back to school is over. And they start pumping the music in, which I can only take so much of. They start pumping that music in. There's a strict rule in my house. You cannot play Christmas music until December. And it stops the end of December. That's it. I have not put my tree up yet. I will have to because my mom will make me before our big family gathering. (laughs) And it's just bombarding, and it's busy, and it's stressful. And that is what this turns out like. Do we have any of the slides? Yes. Okay. So, this is Christmas. I've been called a Grinch, a Scrooge. Ah, bah humbug. You hear that whenever you say anything negative about Christmas. Because some people, you guys love it. Some of you, the second a leaf falls off the tree, the tree is out. Now, like, that was a thunderstorm. That doesn't count. It is 97 degrees outside. It's not time. I actually tried out for the role of the Crossings production of The Grinch, and they said, we're really looking for an actor, not just somebody that this is who they are. So this is Christmas. I want to talk a little bit about that today, but I want you guys to kind of bear with me because you're going to have to go on a journey to get where I'm going. So are you guys ready to dive into the Word? All right, can we just pray real quick? Father, we just ask that you would speak to us this morning. Father, let your Word go out. And, Lord, we know it will not return void. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and teach us and make us more and more like Jesus. We ask these in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first verse we have, we're going to go back to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, verse 1. Sam knows it. Sam, just do all of chapter 6, if you would. Do we have that slide? Hey, we have power. All right. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Now, Isaiah is a prophet. If you don't know what a prophet is, a prophet is someone who hears from the Lord and relays that message to the people. Don't mystify it more than it is. That is what it is. He hears a word from the Lord and relays it to the people. And he gives us a time frame of what's going on because it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, this puts a time stamp on when this is happening to about 720 B.C. But I kind of want to sit here for a minute and let's talk about this, okay? So it says it's the year that King Uzziah died. So my question then is, who is King Uzziah? And in order to find out who he is, we have to go back to 2 Chronicles. If we can get that. And, it's, and if you're looking for 2 Chronicles in your Bible, it's after 1 Chronicles. <laughs> it says, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. When Uzziah was 16 years old, he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecoliah or something along that line, and she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. And that's key. Don't forget that part. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Can we back up just for a second? So this is King Uzziah, 16 years old, becomes king. And he does what is right in the sight of the Lord. This is good. And the next ten verses talk about all his accomplishments. He defeated the Philistines. He expanded the territory. He fortified the walls. He rebuilt stuff that had been destroyed. He took over more land. He did all these things because, the Scripture says, he followed the Lord. When he sought the Lord... God gave him success. And while he was doing that, the nation prospered. When there is a good king in charge of things, good things happen. And so this is what is happening during the time of Uzziah. But we know from Isaiah and just from human history that people don't live forever. So how then did Uzziah die? That is my next question. And if we go to the next verse, it says, After Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, let me help you understand what's going on here. He does not have the right to go into the sanctuary to burn incense. He is a king. He is not a priest. This is under the law. There are the law of Moses. There are rules that you have to follow. 
But he decides in his arrogance and in his pride that he can do that. That he has a right to go where he does not belong. And he steps across the line and he breaks the law. In order to do the priestly duties, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. You had to be ceremonially cleansed and purified in order to enter into these areas. There was a whole process of purification that had to happen because you are sinful and you cannot enter the divine in a sinful way. There are rules. God has ways. But he decides he can go in. And in the next verse, it says that Azariah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They see what's happening, and they're like, no, no, no. This can't happen. You are violating the temple. And they confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be, not be honored by the Lord God. And Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priest in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. And King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. And let's just stop right there for just a moment, and let's talk about what just happened. The priests try to rush him out because he's broken the law and get him out of the temple. And while that happens, leprosy starts to break out. Now, Victor just talked about leprosy a couple weeks ago, about how highly contagious it was and how if you, once you had it, you're basically your body starts eating itself from the outside in. And it was highly contagious, and you would have to go around and declare to anyone that you saw that you were unclean. So it didn't spread, and you had to be separated out from everybody else. And so what happened here is that because he was spiritually unclean, when he entered in, God made him physically unclean. And that's how he spends the rest of his life, separated away, unclean. Write this down. Under the law, defilement was contagious. If you read the law and you read the books of Moses, you will begin to see that there is a pattern of cleansing that has to happen in order to properly worship God. And if you did something, 
if you became unclean and you had to make a sacrifice to atone for it in order to be clean again. And so it became contagious. If you touched a dead animal that you weren't supposed to be, you weren't like touching it and you had blood on your hands and you went and touched something else, that became unclean. And this process would continue on until it came to a point where you went to the temple and you got things right and you were clean again. How many times do we see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where you did this so you were unclean? And even with Jesus with the lepers, we see you had to go to the temple and show that you were clean so you could continue on. Defilement was contagious. And the more you did it, the more things went. And that is what happened to King Uzziah. But if you remember the first part of that story, he was a good king. He did what was right. He did really well, but he finished poorly. And that is what is happening at the time when Isaiah is writing. A good king has died. And uncertainty fills the land. Because there's another king coming, but you don't really know how that's going to play out. You don't know how they're going to act. You don't know if they're going to pursue God. And so there's always this little bit of, oh no, what's happening? And I love how God addresses this. Because if we go back to Isaiah... It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Where? Seated on the throne. Isaiah, it doesn't matter who is on that throne. There is a throne that is higher than that. And the one who sits on it never relinquishes his power. And so he reveals himself in a time of uncertainty as I've got this. It's all under control. And so I love that picture. And so in the next verses, it says, Above him were seraphim. Now, seraphim means burning ones. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if they're big balls of fire. I don't know what that means. But these are angels And each with six wings, with two wings they cover their faces, with two they cover their feet, and with two they were flying. Understand, angels were created before humanity, and they have always dwelt and lived in the presence of God. They are divine creatures, and so they are set apart from who we are, and even in that, They have to cover their face because they themselves cannot look upon the majesty of God in his fullness. That's an incredible picture. And so they circle the, and they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voice, not the sound of the voice of God, the sound of the voice of the seraphim, The doorpost and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
At that moment, at the voice of the angels, everything shook. The temple fills with smoke. And Isaiah is well aware of what just happened because we just read what happened to King Uzziah. And it's the same time frame. So Isaiah responds like he should and says, well, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. I am toast. And the way you say that in King James, like Sam just said, is, woe unto me. That's how you say, I'm a dead man. Because he knows that the king went into the wrong place at the temple and died from it. And here is Isaiah, not just in the temple, but in the very throne room of God. And he knows he's not getting out of here. So he says, woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I am unclean. The King entered into the temple unclean and died. I am unclean in the throne room of God I am toast. But then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Now, this is one of the many places we see in the First Testament where us is mentioned, referring to the Holy Trinity. Who will I send? The Lord is speaking now. Who will I send? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. The guy who two verses ago knew he was dead now says, well, if I'm not dead, then send me. That should be something we should do. Well, if I'm not dead, send me. And then he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull And close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Let me give you a quick translation of what that means. Because what is happening in Israel right now is the people are in rebellion against God. They're not worshiping him like they're supposed to. They're not listening to him. They're not looking for him. They are following false religions. Uzziah was just full of pride. Things are about to get bad. That's basically what that means. Things are about to get bad. This is the message Isaiah has to deliver to the people, that things are going to get worse. And in the next verse, he says, okay, how long? (laughs) How long is it going to be bad? And the Lord answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant." Until the houses are left deserted and the fields 
ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, a remnant, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Things are about to get bad. What's happening in Israel and what they aren't aware of is that the Assyrians are about to come in and take over Israel. And that's not good. But then the Babylonians are going to come and wipe them out and even more destruction than before. And he ends that basically Israel is going to be cut down to the stump. We have the next slide. There's a really cool picture right here of a stump. Just so you know. A stump in a wasteland. And this is the image that God gives Isaiah to tell the people. It's going to get bad. And if you, everywhere you look, it's, another translation calls it a wasteland. It is cut off. It is dead. It is desolate. It is isolated. It is all these things. And everywhere you look is nothing but destruction and devastation. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that spot where it doesn't matter what you do? It doesn't feel like no matter what you do and where you turn, it just seems like more heartache, more heartbrokenness, more pain, more suffering. And it's not the way you intended your life to look at this point. Everyone's running around saying it's the most wonderful time of the year, but inside, you don't feel that. The things that you had hoped for aren't coming to fruition. The things that you had desired are still out of reach. For a lot of people... This is not just a season, but it can be years of their life or their entire life where it's just this constant look. And everywhere you look, it just doesn't seem good. It seems hopeless. So you turn on the TV or you get on social media to try to escape that reality. And what do you find? More. More turmoil, conflict, bitterness, hopelessness. Do you know that in the U.S. in 2021, there were over a million, like 1.070 million suicide attempts in that year? Feelings hopelessness and just like you're cut off and even as a believer I've been there 
where you feel, you know what the word says. You know what's true. You believe it in your heart, but it just doesn't feel it. You feel disconnected. You feel separated. You feel cut off. Am I the only one? Anybody else ever been there? And this is the message Isaiah gets to deliver. I want to encourage you today, children of God, that the God who spoke everything into existence, the God who pushed up the mountains with his fingers, the God who breathed into a pile of dirt and it became a man, that God has never not had his eye on you. There was never a time that you weren't on his mind. There is never a time that you were out of his sight, out of his reach, out of his providence. There has always been there, and he will always be there. What did Isaiah say at the beginning? I saw the Lord. He was seated on the throne, and that God cares deeply for you. So write this down. Just because it looks uncertain does not mean that he isn't in control. What I love about God is that there are no afterthoughts. There was always plan A. There is no plan B. From the very beginning, there was a plan, and he will carry it out. There has never been anything that you have done or anything that has ever happened that he did not see coming. You have never taken him by surprise. Nothing was ever an afterthought. Eve was not an afterthought. Jesus was not an afterthought of, oh, no, how am I going to fix this? It's all been the plan. He has always been in control and will continue to be in control. And he is in control whether we like it or not. And if you look at your life and you look at these situations, I want to assure you that you have never, ever been more loved than you are right now. And at the deepest, darkest parts of that mentality, he's still there. And God never forgot about Israel, and he'll never forget about you. He knows every hair on your head. He formed you in your mother's womb. He has an intricate interest in you and your life. And he doesn't leave us in a place of desolation. And if we look just a few chapters later... A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. It looks dead. It looks dead. It's just a stump. But those roots run deep. And a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. 
and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. And the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nation will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. It looks dead, but there's hope. There's always hope. And when he rises up, what you see with the coming of Christ, what you see with Christmas, what you see with the incarnation is that when he comes, he starts a pattern of reversal, setting things back to the way they should have been from the beginning, taking and removing what Adam had done and restoring it back to the beginning. And we even see, we even see creation itself follows along. Because Romans 8 says that creation itself groans in eager expectation for the revealing of sons of God. And we see that we start this reversal back to the way it should be. And it's moving in a different direction because of Christ. Spurgeon says it like this. Nothing is so sweet as to lie passive in God's hands. And to know no will but his. O child of suffering, be thou patient. God has not passed thee over in his providence. He who is the feeder of sparrows will also furnish you with what you need. Sit not down in despair. Hope on. Hope ever. You see, with the birth of Christ, when he comes, it changes things. It's not just this moment in time. What it is, and you can write this down, and I love this, that under Christ, righteousness becomes contagious. Under the law, defilement was contagious. You touched it and you were defiled, it spread. But under Christ, when he touches things, it becomes righteous. And in that reversal or returning back to the way things should have been. And you look throughout his ministry and that is what he does. When he touches the lepers, he doesn't become leprous. They become whole. Amen. When he touches the blind, they see. When he touches people that are the lowest of the low, they are restored to new places. That is what has happened. That is the indoctrination. That is Christmas. 
when the divine stepped into humanity to bring restoration, to set things back to the way he had always intended it to be. He is a covenant God. Amen. And he keeps every promise he makes. Amen. See, can I come on up? I was talking to a, uh, a good brother this week in the Lord who was pastored for several years and we were talking about hope we were talking about this and and he said that when he especially when he first started out in his ministry he said you would get those phone calls and you get called into these dire situations the teenager in a car wreck the family who's putting mom on hospice Suicides and homicides and these situations that just seem hopeless. And he said, you know, it used to terrify me. Because I didn't know what to say. What do you say in those situations? I, didn't, I wanted to have the right words. I wanted to bring hope into a situation. And I didn't know how to do it because what do you say? What do you say when they're burying somebody that they never thought would be here? When that relationship is over or whatever that situation, these dire situations. And he said, you know what I found out over time? That it doesn't matter what you say. It didn't matter what I said in that situation. What mattered was that I was there. What mattered was just my presence, not because of who I am, but just because they just want somebody there to sit with them in the sorrow and to love them and to be with them in that moment. He said, that's what I learned. It wasn't what I said. It was what I did. And it was just being there with them. And that, my friends, is Christmas. No more words. No more stories. It's when the divine left divinity and stepped into humanity so that he could sit with me in my despair. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. In the deepest, darkest times, there is hope, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Hope only exists inside of him. Outside of him, there is no hope. It's a thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new name.
glorious morn. And that is where we get to live today. We get to live as a people, not like Isaiah, who were looking forward to hope. We get to live in hope. And we get to be what we always designed for us to be. And we get to live in a place of hopefulness, not despair. Saints, hope on, hope ever. If you just bow your heads for just a moment. I want you to ask yourself a question and I want you to answer it honestly. I had to wrestle with this this week. Are you in a season of hopelessness? Or are there areas in your life you've just given up hope. It appears hopeless. It appears dead. Is there anything in you that just feels hopeless? If that's you, Zeke's just going to play quietly for a moment. I'm going to ask you to do something big for you, maybe. But in an act of obedience, the altars are open. And maybe you need to come and you need to talk to God and just say, I'm sorry that I had given up on you. And maybe you're in a season where you're just broken and you need someone to come and sit with you. Let me tell you that Jesus will come and sit with you, but so will the people here in this room. And if that's you, I'm just gonna give you just a, a few moments just to move and just be obedient to what the Spirit is telling you to do. is a friend who sticks closer than a brother.
just a couple more minutes. If the Spirit is working on your heart this morning, listen to Him. Be obedient to whatever He has called you to. as we go throughout this season, this week, I have a couple of just challenge things for you. And the first one is this. How can I be hope to those around me? How can I show hope in a hopeless world. Ask God to show that to you. See what he will do with that. And just be obedient to whatever it is he's calling you to do. And the last one is this. For you people that are like me, Christmas is busy. Christmas can be messy. It can be something that you don't really want it to be, but don't let the mess keep you from the message. Hope on, hope ever. Keep your eyes peeled for what he is doing and rejoice in the coming of our Savior. Amen. God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for choosing to come and live among us. God, keep our hearts focused on you, not only this season, but every day. God, we thank you for your word grace and your love. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.